Welcome to the More Perfect Union. I'm Nick Remesong, along with my co-host Chris Wolf, and joining us this week uh, from our radio roundtable of regulars will be Dr. Michael Walker Jones, and as always, our studio manager Peter J. Hey, good morning, all. How are you? Good morning. Well, midterm 2022, 35 of 100, 435, and 36 of 50. These are the numbers this country will be dealing with on November 8th. 35 of 100 Senate seats, all 435 seats in the House, and 36 gubernatorial seats will be decided on that day, along with hundreds of local elections and ballot questions. Now, we're going to dial it down today to the, a slightly more local level that will deal with the, uh, the four ballot questions presented to voters on their ballot. Now, they, they range, the issues range from taxation to immigration with a, a nod to alcoholic libation and healthy dentation. Anyone care to uh, start the oration? Um, wow. Well, let me compliment. Let, <laughs> let me compliment you on that introduction. Uh, uh, that was absolutely well thought out, well vocalized, and uh, harmonious. And my ego is experiencing <laughs> deflation. <laughs> well, well I mean, there's so me... much lunacy going on out there and wrapped around everything. Let's <laughs> just try and keep. I it. wasn't sure if you were engaged in obfuscation. Ah, oh my goodness! Keep it coming, and uh, so it begins. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, let's start with actually one that uh, uh, that doesn't seem to be that controversial on its face, but gets into something that I don't think we talk about enough, and that's the libation part. The uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's question. Is that question three? Four, I think. No, yeah. no, four is immigration. Uh, it's three oh no three three. yes ah okay i i I mean you know the academic in me is never really absolutely sure about anything (laughs) (laughs) so so we always ask questions um but But you're uncertain on an extremely high plane (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) with avi no less uh the uh, uh uh the issue of licenses uh, brings up a couple of reactions. One, I didn't think we could get to a point where we needed more, uh, <laughs> more, more liquor stores in the Bite state. Your but, <laughs> but apparently, uh, there is some controversy around that, mm-hmm. and I think it's the same as a lot of controversies. It's the small corner store. Versus the big box renditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I didn't know this existed until I read question three. Uh, and then suddenly you realize that there are these mega liquor, uh, uh, liquor stores that are coming in, pushing out these neighborhood stores. And I think that's what question three is about, which limits the number then of licenses that can go to any one company. Uh, I think in a sort of uh, uh, you know, crystalline way. That's what question three boils down to. Um, and interestingly enough, I've had a couple of conversations with people that I know who are in the uh, liquor selling business who are quite in favor of this limitation. So again, it's one of those questions that on its face doesn't seem to really evoke a whole lot of, well, yeah, you know, I mean, you got to be against that. You got to be for it. Uh, but it does bring out this issue of Goliath versus David. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I think question three is all about. So if you vote yes, uh, you're on the side of David. Uh, if you vote no, then you're on the side of Goliath. Well, there's an, another aspect to it that comes in is it would require all liquor, all, all alcohol only vendors in other words liquor stores to accept out-of-state id and i mean the the point cut came home to me rather uh rather roundly when i went into my local liquor store here in franklin and they have a large handmade sign that says no out-of-state id they can do that and of course the issue is we're a college town 
Dean College. Mm. And there's an issue with how do you verify an out-of-state ID? How do you really look at it and know that it might have been tampered with much as anything? So they, but with if, if you vote yes on three, they would then have to accept out-of-state ID. They wouldn't have that option. So I think that might be part of uh, what the larger vendors might be looking at is just <clears throat> making their jobs a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but another side of this also is with the potential for more licenses being avail- available locally, you, I think, would drive the competition. I mean, I can see it here in that, again, locally here in Franklin, I can go to BJ's, which can sell beer and wine, and get a substantially better price than I can at the at Liquor World, the all-liquor store. Now they can't sell spirits. I don't know what you know what aspect of uh, this uh, question would what impact this question would have on that allowing BJ's to then be able to sell spirits, and of course I'm sure Big Y would also. But there there are a lot of little <clears throat> bits and pieces, a lot of moving parts to this that impact um, seriously. I think. Clarify quickly. I think the no vote would make leave the laws unchanged. So a yes vote is the one that would promote change. Just to make sure people get yes, it right, uh, yes to, vote, right on on Tuesday. That's that's why I said if you if you vote yes, you're voting for David, because the small liquor stores are the ones that are promoting a yes vote. Uh, okay. The the uh, the large chains don't want any change because they can have unlimited numbers of licenses all over the state. Um, be as large and uh, sort of multivariant as they want. Uh, but oh, to your you. question, um, uh, Nick, the question about the licenses, I think that the new uh, Real ID uh, is a potential solution for that. Uh, right now, I think, as I talk to some of my friends in the business, uh and since we're naming names over at franklin liquors my buddy mike over there uh they seem to think that if they have to verify out-of-state ids then the real id would be the solution uh and they may be able to because it's coming pretty soon in terms it's going to be a requirement they may be able to say no out-of-state license is accepted unless it's a real id and I'd like to uh, formally introduce Rachel into the um, session today. She is, of course, the Franklin Democratic Party chair, and we're glad to have her joining us. Yay, Rachel. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Tis the season. Yeah. Uh, I, one of the things I want to do is pick up on our discussion with respect to uh, the language itself. Mm. Now, I you know, went through the Red Book uh, at some length. Um, and, uh, more recently, I also in preparing for the show went to the secretary of state's website, um, and pulled down all of the language, not only the language for and against, but the actual language of the legislation. So I got about 18 pages in front of me. Uh, but that said, and why did I do booth? Well, you know. We talked about doing this program and reviewing all of the material for the four questions, which I thought was a great idea. And I thought it was a great idea exactly 24 hours after I threw away my red book, having reviewed it. So it was one of those, uh, oops, uh, trash just went away. Got it. All right. So I got to print it all out again. (laughs) Oh, (coughs) I did my homework twice. Um, but that said, uh, Looking at the actual language, you learn a lot. Uh, and, and so I'm going to get mechanistic here in that on the website, it refers to diagrams following figures. Uh, and then the figures don't appear uh, in the text on the website. So uh, the fact that the legislation actually uh, cites figures that we can't see, either because they were incorporated as PNGs or who knows why. But at the end of the day, uh, some of the 
pertinent information appears to be missing. Uh, but if you want the original language, let me let me do a quick shout out here that if you between you know now and the time you vote would actually like to take a look at the four questions in depth, you can simply Google Massachusetts ballot questions, a real simple Google, MA ballot questions. It will take you directly to the Secretary of State's website page where the questions reside, one through four, and you can actually select them amongst the menu on the page. So it's really easy to get to. If you don't happen to have a red book, if you don't happen to have any other information, uh, the information is uh, readily available just by Googling those three words, MA ballot questions, and you will get all the information that you need uh, on all four of them. So I encourage you to have an opportunity to do your homework. Uh, so my mechanistic issue on this particular question uh, doesn't really affect an opinion one way or the other, save that I'm obviously quite curious about whatever the figures were that they were citing in the legislation, which uh, the full text of the legislation, as is, constitutes approximately one page. Um, so it's not a horribly difficult read. One thing that I will say is at least pro for the legislation is that they make it abundantly clear that no matter the nature of the store, all transactions have to happen face to face. There is no automatic checkout opportunity. There's uh, they've done everything they can to avoid people trying to game the system. So them's my two cents on that one. Yeah, I did see that aspect of uh, no self-checkout, uh, which, uh, for instance, at BJ's, you can start a self-checkout, but you cannot complete the sale uh, until someone, uh, a clerk has come by, verified your identification, and then put in a bypass code. I don't know if that qualifies, but um, if you have to go through a line, you have to go through a line. Yeah, some of that, I think, is geared toward the uh, sports venues where, mm. they're, mm -hmm. where they're moving more and more towards self-checkout, you know, by putting in your ID in the front. So if you've got a false ID and it reads, then, you know, you're giving access to someone who is not entitled because uh, then the self-checkout at the end is just a verification. OK, your credit card, your your ID went through. Mm -hmm. But again, I think that the way we're moving toward the real ID, that is yeah. the holographic piece and uh, and the embedded chip that's going to be in <laughs> all of our IDs. Right. Uh, a little uh, we'll star in the upper right hand corner. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, so I'm not sure that that particular piece um is going to uh, impact anything more than because I think the stores are still going to want to see your ID and do it face to face anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's really going to impact the uh, 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 the big venues, the sporting venues, the concert venues, mm -hmm. those kinds of places. Now, having brought up the real ID, that's going to take us a, a nice little segue into uh, question four, the question that was added after uh, the uh, red book came out and that deals with uh, license plates. Uh, excuse me, the issuing of license driver's license to undocumented uh, drivers, undocumented yeah. immigrants. And one of the, one of the aspects of that is that they cannot, if, if, if this is, if the, if the vote is yes to stay with that, uh, and the law goes into effect, they will not be able to get a real ID. So that that's becoming a, a, a major point of contention. I mean, it was a big point of contention around my house because my wife had to go through quite a few hoops in order to get hers because, of course, her name changed when she was married, and she had to verify a like, great deal more than I did, and she'd also allowed her passport to expire, but we won't go into that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I have to say, on a, on a practical level, just as uh, somebody who's driving around our fair commonwealth, 
Um, I think the if you don't have uh, access to a license, you're not going to have access to insurance. Mm-hmm. And I would think that uh, you know if we there were limitations on who had access to licenses, you're going to have a lot more uninsured drivers driving around, which is going to be a hazard financially and physically to the rest of us. So uh, for me, it's a bit of a no-brainer, right? Uh, that one, and that is that uh, is a big of, argument. You know, it's not me. an issue about who should live yeah. here or not. That's not the issue because mm-hmm. I just don't want to be liable for you know fixing my right. car if uh, it gets hit by somebody else. That's and that's a big, uh, uh, big uh, issue on the pro side is the fact that it will cut down and has supposedly among the 17 states that already have this in effect, it has cut down significantly on the number of uh, uninsured drivers and unlicensed driver cases. And statistically, it's also reduced the number of hit and runs related. Hit and runs, right. Yeah. Um, Clearly, you know, all of the public safety officers, police chiefs and whatnot have come down on this one strongly in favor of maintaining the law um and and uh you know they feel that it's in the interest of the work that they do mm-hmm. uh, so so there's clearly an interest there um uh, the governor vetoed the law just so people know that he really felt that the the uh registry of motor vehicles did not really have the bandwidth mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in its current iteration to be able to to handle this and to make reasonable determinations with respect to to uh, whatever lawful document they need to provide yeah uh, additionally of foreign documents yeah and you know i recently did a driver's license reissue and reg at the triple a yep uh, and uh very smooth yeah exactly um and so i i don't know how these ancillary uh, registration offices are, are prepared or not prepared to mm-hmm. to uh, handle, but it would be interesting to uh, consider where they exist in all of this. And you know, this brings up the question too of uh, of immigration. Um, the The idea that you can have anyone in your country who could evade the uh, uh, the laws around driving or insuring a vehicle. I think it's something that a reasonable country would not do. I mean, if you're if you're in the country, uh, a citizen or no, uh, I would think that it's in the citizen it's in the country's best interest to have everyone follow the rules. Um, and you would make a, you would make some kind of accommodations for that. Uh, you know, even if it's a matter of, okay, you, you know, you are in the process of registering, uh, or, uh, uh, for asylum, you have this, you have that, bring us those documents, uh, we'll make sure we monitor you and then we'll issue the license. And then you have to have insurance for your car, if you're going to drive or your person, et cetera. So the issue here, and here are some of the things that I've heard out on the street around this, is that this is an issue of immigration. And that uh, some of my sort of right-leaning friends uh, say uh, another example of social uh, socialist liberalism, allowing anybody to come into the country and to drive, and then we're going to start giving them documents that gives them more entitlements than what they deserve because they're not really citizens. So how do we react to that? Well, it's an argument that's just not going to go away. It's an argument that if you are a strict interpretationist, if you are absolutely rigid with respect to immigration policy, uh, the first position you take is that people entered the country under false pretense, or, or you know, totally illegally, whatever, and therefore, you know, we owe them nothing. Um, first thing we ought to do is just make sure that we find a way to prevent that. Short of preventing it, find a way to send them back. Um, and that's, you know, one extreme end of a discussion. Uh, the other extreme end of a discussion is, 
well, they're here, let's let them all in, which I don't think is is really, I don't think either extreme is is really operative. And the difficult for us is the Occam's razor discussion, the consequences of what we do to try to find a reasoned middle. Uh, and that's a, that's a difficult balancing act. Um, the public safety issue is really what this legislation is about. How do yeah, you improve public safety? Um, and act in the interest of all of the citizens, the real citizens, to protect them. Uh, and so uh, in that light, I think that the legislation is reasonably crafted. It also goes out of its way to make sure that it is not extensible. That is, just because you were allowed to get a driver's license under this legislation, you can't find ways to convert it into or extend it into other forms of ID, real ID, or use it for leverage to gain other um, advantages. Um, and so it's, it's, it's pretty tightly wrapped in terms of what it allows and does not allow. Now, as I was saying, yes, I think the, uh, the public safety issue overrides any concerns I may or may not have about, you know, uh, uh, a federal problem of um, controlling immigration. It seems to me that at the local level, it's just uh, public safety has to take priority. Yeah, I've got a personal story uh, from my daughter who's out in California. As a matter of fact, uh, prior to California adopting this, California is one of the other states that does have this particular uh, law uh, that was enacted oh my goodness i think a number of years ago now uh but she was in an accident and the person who was driving the car that t-boned her uh was a uh, undocumented uh, immigrant with no insurance and basically wrecked her car to the point of uh, unre unrepairable mm. And thank goodness there was a special fund that had been set mm -hmm. up for uh, these kinds of situations. So she didn't get totally uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, the left out in the cold, but it did accentuate to her and a number of her friends the need for having a person, albeit undocumented, have a driver's license and be required to have insurance because this person was basically able to still walk away uh, at that particular point in time, where now if that had happened and they had been uninsured, uh, you know, the fund is still there, but this person would have gone to jail. Uh, and possibly at that point too, uh, if it happens today, would have been immediately up for deportation. Uh, because that's one of those indicators, again, of not following the laws, right. albeit you're undocumented. So <clears throat> I agree with you. The public safety aspect of it, uh, I think, trumps everything. Uh, but then again, too, it also helps in terms of the administration of our immigration laws. Because if a person does end up in an accident or in some way uh, uh, in a vehicle that's uninsured, you know, they're exposing themselves now to deportation punishment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a greater greater risk that they'd have to assume they're right. taking. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then speaking of public interest <laughs> and special funds, mm -hmm. why don't we move to the big enchilada? <laughs> what Number enchilada one? might that be? Yeah. <laughs> the one. <laughs> On the one, baby, as Count Basie used to say. One. On the one. Here, here. <laughs> Rachel, what are your thoughts to, uh, about that? I mean, you're in the education profession. Uh, so your thoughts about collecting another couple of billion dollars for roads and for education. Yeah, Michael, thank you. Um, that that really is the most important uh thing there. I do currently work in schools. I've worked in five different public education settings in Massachusetts, a few preschools, um, and they're, they're a pretty diverse group. Some of them, um, I'm currently working in a local school district that um, is in a pretty affluent community. I've also worked um, in 
the opposite. Um, and none of those schools have what they need. Um, we, the passing this law would lower the blood pressure of thousands of educators and administrators uh, here. Um, <laughs> Interesting. Right? It, it most certainly would. Um, it seems kind of irresponsible in my mind that the getting those profits into something like a hedge fund rather than into the classrooms and the buildings where our most important asset, the young people who are being educated, um, are being shorted. I yes. Just just like what this would do to to get the bathrooms in a shape where parents wouldn't look inside and cringe. Mm. Um, just to get the uh pencils not being a uh, hot commodity that a teacher has to uh, tell a kid to stop writing. You never want a kid to stop developing those fine motor skills. But when you've only got so many materials and you need to be sparing with it, those are, those are the type of decisions that this could influence. So um, I am very biased, but very much for it. The Massachusetts Teachers Association is also really active in this. Um, starting well beforehand, but the Democratic uh, state convention that happened um, in the spring there was a, a big time of kind of gathering and getting the forces ready to go out and knock doors. And teachers have been more active politically. It's not some we don't talk politics in school. It's not really appropriate. However, question one has really kind of changed the tone and gotten educators uh, yeah, together and engaged in civics, which is really exciting. So vote yes, please. <laughs> thank, thank you, Rachel. This is Chris here. I uh, agree with everything you're saying, but I have one caveat, um, which is that uh, I, I know a few people who are, say they own a family restaurant and the they've never been able to put any money aside for their retirement. Their uh, expectation has been that selling the family business or the mom and pop store at uh, some point would give them the money that they would need to fund their retirement. And um, under the law as framed, as I understand it, the that would all count as income in one year and mm -hmm. they will be hit um, as though they were millionaire billionaires earning that much every year. Um, and yes. uh, that seems to be a major drawback. Uh, enough to give me hesitancy to think, well, yes, it seems fair and just, except for people in this situation. And you're talking like some farmers and um, but plenty of I'm thinking of like restaurant owners and other small business owners. And and don't forget the sale of a home, too. Right. Uh, Correct. Yeah. You, you, you know, when I went down that list, uh, suddenly, uh, like you, Nick, I'm. I'm thinking, whoa, 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 hold on. And primarily because I think there was some poor construction of the legislation because the intent, I understand the intent. These are, I, I mean, this increase is for people who consistently year after year are earning over a million dollars and only paying the flat 5%. But if it happens one time, uh, even federal legislation back in the day. And now remember the Republicans, I think have taken this away. You used to be able to income average over a period of time. Right. And now the Republicans took that away so that uh, uh, I think this legislation now, instead of adding in a provision such as income averaging over right. a period of time, as you say, Nick, for your friends would be a disadvantage for selling your business unless you sold it to the unless you sold it as the banker yourself. In other words, uh, instead of paying me for the entire business, I will fund you and then you pay me, uh, you, you know, an amount. But most people don't think that way. I think your friends are thinking properly. I mean, you know, that is we'll sell the business. We'll have the nest egg here. We'll put it in. Uh, uh, into an account that we can then draw on a little bit at a time, and that will become our retirement. That's right. Not and fair. the the other thing is the um, 
those are the people who can least afford the most creative accountants, who I'm sure will be hard right. at work uh, to try mm -hmm. and find um, mm -hmm. loopholes and workarounds. That's and, right. Um, I'm not sure if this is a consideration as well, but um, the other thing is that people uh, in that income category uh, could start um, either redomiciling themselves, not necessarily changing where they really live, but uh, changing their legal addresses and their tax addresses, uh, we just by snapping up a home in some lower income tax state. So mm -hmm. that could have a negative impact as well on that uh, flight of um uh higher earners yeah. on uh state revenue as well so i'm not yeah. sure how that would be addressed as well and, and I can, another I can... aspect of this that i really would like to see set in stone is if it does if it is maintained that uh the way the funds are directed is is inviolate because I look back at the lottery, the state lottery was supposed to fund schools <laughs> and it did for a couple of years and it doesn't, it hasn't, I don't think it's contributed uh, more than a few pennies. <laughs> I mean, I know that's an exaggeration, but it is not serving the purpose that it was originally established for. So I'd like to see in a law of this sort that it is locked in. It goes to the public school system. It cannot be touched for anything, but, the public school system in perpetuity, as long as it's on the books. I don't know that they can do that. I'm not a legislator. I would think that they could. They can lock in just about anything they want. But that's that's a different uh, different side of it. The, the the part that Chris brought up about small business owners selling, and yeah, that's that's how they retire and retire without having to worry about being a burden on their families, being a burden right. on on society. So. Right. It, it has a lot of it has a lot of moving parts again, like all of these issues. Yeah, it's interesting to note that there are, there are two things. Well, first of all, this legislation is literally it, the verbiage of this legislation is literally one paragraph. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it. So there weren't any lobbyists involved in shaping it. Let's put mm -hmm. it that way. Um, but because of the fact that it is only one paragraph, just really just a a few sentences uh, one key one key phrase in here is subject to appropriation by the legislature mm -hmm. and that's exactly what you're talking about how is that interpreted is the legislature empowered to appropriate these funds as they see fit period or are they just simply allowed to appropriate these funds for these two causes for roads and, and education, uh, or if, you know, what would happen if they opted to appropriate these funds for other reasons? Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen that movie before. So, so there's that language, which, you know, sort of brings me up short as to how absolute the guarantee is that it's used for schools. Um, and to what extent, um, because when you talk about roads, suddenly you're talking about a lot of infrastructure, uh, then the other issue is that because of the fact that this paragraph is so short, you do have to read into it what it does not contain. And it does not contain restrictions on home and business sales, forms of what some people might call, well, it's not really windfall profits or windfall income, but it is uh, that classic case of unrealized income that lies dormant for years and accrues, and then suddenly you realize it in the form of a sale. Um, I would hazard that there are quite a few homes and businesses along the 128 belt. When you look at the age of everything that was built along 128 um, in the inner belt, mm. um, and you see homes that went up in, in the 60s, in the 70s, some of them in the 80s, there's a preponderance of homes given the way the population grew out of Boston uh, and the road got built and suddenly everybody wanted to live around it. Well, there are a lot of families still living there in their original homes that they built then. Great. Now, at that time when the home was built, it was probably built for the glorious sum of about $50,000, land included. Right. Now, they may have dropped in anywhere another 100000 in improvements along the way, new roof, call it what you will. 
but they might be looking at something where the total claims against the original purchase might be $200,000 for a home that currently is valued at a million and a half. And then add to that, that if they are still working, you know, if they're making, you know, the median income for this state, 80,000, 60,000. But the point is they're making more money that now needs to be included in the total of what their income is. Even their social security income could put them over the top. Mm-hmm. It's a bizarre consequence that mathematically, whatever you get for social security might just end up costing you an additional 4% on the entirety of a home sale when you're trying to retire. That might be an outlier, but mathematically it is in fact possible Mm -hmm. because of the fact that no such language is included to provide clarifiers. And I think that unfortunately this legislation should have been considered at greater length because the absence of that language basically imbues it with this sort of de facto poison pill, which gives it an awful lot of resistance. Yes, I wonder if someone could just clarify if I'm correct or not. But my understanding is that it's a, it's an income tax bracket like uh, the um, federal mm-hmm. rates. So that's only an income extra over 4%. One million that will be subject to the additional 4%. That is correct. Now, now, Rachel, with the little bits and pieces that have been picked out of, not little, some of major, do you feel, in, in particular, I'm worried about the the funds going astray and do you feel that the the teachers the national uh, the teachers association the teachers union in this state would be strong enough to fight that because evidently the the lottery funds just got away from it got away from where it was supposed to go do you think that that could happen again i i would imagine it's certainly possible i think mm-hmm. i might need to deflect this because I'm not sure. My assumption is that after passage, there would be some kind of task force created, correct? Or some organization that sets those parameters. And I think that would all probably fall into that. And so it's definitely, of course, it's possible, but it it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. And it shouldn't. No, of course yeah, not. I think, yeah, I think what you're referring to, uh, Rachel, is after after the ballot question, the legislation's put in place, and then people got to write regulations right. to administer it. Uh, so you're absolutely correct, Rachel, that, you know, hopefully in the regulations that there would be some limitations. But, you know, and I'm glad you're optimistic about it, because, again, myself, having worked in the education industry, uh, I'm not so optimistic. And I wish our good friend Jeff was here today. Uh, one of the things that I think is important is taking our legislative members the task when they break their promises and in Massachusetts, we're good at that. And sometimes we will then forgive them and then we'll forget that they broke their word here. And then, you know, we go 10, 12 years and then they'll do it again and then we'll forgive them. And we're in this endless cycle because, uh, you know, many of the legislative members don't want to write the law in such a way that is extremely prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the answer to your question, Nick, for example, uh, and Chris, yes, laws can be written to restrict funds. For example, take the uh, take the gas tax. You can't use the gas tax, you know, to fund social programs. The gas tax is a dedicated tax to roads and transportation. Uh, and they could have done the same here. Like you, and again, I was I was very curious about uh, uh, about some of the intent that maybe in a future, if this thing passes, you know, uh, our friend Jeff and maybe others can, uh, you know, can, from the legislature can be with us uh, to help give us some clarity around this. Because I, you know, I'm like you, Rachel. I'm I'm hoping that the regulations are written correctly so that you know the promise is kept that these funds are going to be for infrastructure, roads, and for education. But I'm not guaranteed that in terms of being overly optimistic about it because I've seen the legislature break their promise in the past here in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two things I would have liked to see are that it is going to fund roads and infrastructure and education in equal measure. Yes. That would guarantee something would go to the teachers. That would be clearer. Also, uh, again, I feel like there's just so much missing in this one paragraph that they wrote. Mm-hmm. I almost I almost wish that the lobbyists, the small business association, farmers as a group or whatever, I kind of wish that there were lobbyists who actually weighed in on this 
and had an opportunity to perhaps give the law a better shape. Like you, Dr. Mike, I remember the time when they said that the Massachusetts Turnpike was being built and that the original $400 mm. million dollar funding back in the 60s mm. was the only thing they needed to pay off, and then the toll booths would go away. Would go, mm. to go, would go away, yes. Well, they're, they're gone now. The toll booths have gone. They kept that yeah, <laughs> kept right. word on that. <laughs> Technology mm-hmm. has reconfigured the toll booths. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, the first refinance was about, well, we need to do maintenance on the road. So I right. said, well, all right, that's, that's a, I guess, a fair claim. So it's like, you know, re-upping on the original mortgage, you know, to make yeah. home improvements. Uh, but yeah. that's sort of what started the slide. I must, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to have to run, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, but, uh, but I did want to leave you with this thought since you brought it up, Pete. I've lived in a number of states over my career, and one of them I was born and raised in Kentucky. Kentucky not only made that promise, but followed through in terms of putting up toll roads to pay for the road, and then they took them down. In the late 80s and 90s, all of those roads that were built in the 60s, uh, especially with the National Defense Highway Fund, uh, some of that referred to as the interstate system, they used some of that money as well as state money. But once the roads were paid for, boom, gone. Uh, So I'm not surprised that here in Massachusetts, that promise has not been kept. Uh, We're a different kind of state, but it's not universal. In other words, we there are places where legislatures and the people do keep their word. Well, we'll leave it at that. I remember, I, remember, I remember shooting quarters into all of the toll buckets in Connecticut along Route 15. Oh, <laughs> every, that, that goes way back when. Yeah. And, and oh that's God, all every five away. miles. Yeah. Gentlemen, imagine being a petite lady trying to reach out <laughs> with cash, with money dangling in the wind. Mm-hmm. Not uh-huh. fun. Yeah, they're they're. <laughs> That physical limitations. We'll have to address those later. Oh, uh, we, we've got to get the right. teeth right now. So we have uh, what? Yes, so, one more issue to sink our teeth into. Oh, there we go. And, um, it's, it's been done. It's, as I think Pete was saying, five pages of uh, information, which mm. has left me scratching my head. I, yeah, we, I'm really uh, not yeah, sure we, what the intent of this question is. <laughs> we, we go from uh, the single paragraph on question one. And we do this lateral arabesque on the uh, dental issue, which is five pages, which very clearly, this is the story of, you know, laws and sausages being made. It's It's been edited and re-edited and re-edited and refined and refined again. Um, for me, it, it's, it, you know, it makes eminent sense. And I don't see any, oh, by the way, yesterday, I went to the dentist and, you know, I'm in the process of uh, replacing a crown. Uh, my insurance company is paying for the majority of it. Thank you very much. Um, but it was interesting that at my dentist's office, they were strongly in favor. Even had a sign advocating outside, you know, the lawn sign sitting there pointing to it saying, look, this is important. So uh, that's just an anecdote that says that you know, they they see this as a win for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, you know, competition will continue to keep prices in check. I'm not overly concerned about the claim that magically prices are going to go up because mm-hmm. of this. So I don't think that there's anything here that I find problematic. And it will be interesting now, in reviewing these, I'm, give me a moment here. I'm kind of going back over all of my notes and the paperwork. So uh, I'll riff off uh, for a moment then. And the um, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but as I recall, about half of all every dollar spent uh, on healthcare in this country, uh, about 50 cents goes to uh, or half of yeah goes to uh, administration of all sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the the running of the hospitals, obviously, and um, healthcare institutions is one thing, but then the chasing bills and invoicing and mm-hmm. uh, all that goes with it is the uh, the thing that sucks up 
you know, half of the money spent on healthcare. Uh, it's a very stark contrast to um, countries with like where I come from, UK, where it's more like the proportions um, listed in this bill, where it's about 15% goes on administration mm -hmm. and 85% goes on actual healthcare, right. which seems to be a much healthier ratio and keeps the cost to society down uh, when it comes to um, pro providing healthcare. So uh, I don't know how they're going to make it work because, you know, if institutionally that's how this business functions with right uh, high it has because administration of, it, charges um mm -hmm. that's my you know I, i'm not particularly strongly one favor in favor of one or the other but i am mm. curious to know how um that well, will impact uh, if you the take actual the, business the, yeah if you take the figures for just de delta dental just in massachusetts they paid and these executive bonuses commissions and payments to affiliates so none of this has to do with chasing down payments uh, they paid $382 million last year while only paying $177 million for patient care. You're looking at two-thirds. That's a huge difference. Yeah. So I'm, they, I'm in the wrong business, clearly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and they require this law would require at least 83% of uh, paid, premi paid premiums go to patient care, or they would have to refund premiums to patients to meet this standard. Yeah, I found those numbers a little bit shocking uh, uh, myself. Absolutely, if shocking. that if true, I don't know what those numbers are based on or how they were uh, generated. Well, it's according to uh, Delta Dental's own 2019 Form 990. Well, so if well, it's okay, got a then. number on it, I believe it. So, uh, just yeah, uh, we we call it dental insurance, but it it's really is a, a sort of a, a supplemental plan. You put money in every month. And then yeah. you have, you know, two cleanings a year typically and, you know, an allowance towards, you know, work that you do. Um, but I I think it tends to be less configured towards catastrophic coverage than general health insurance. And so they've got a lot of safeguards on the insurance side with respect to their exposures. The uh, Also, the arguments for and against, I'm just looking at them. The against arguments really kind of strike me as kind of thin. It says it will increase costs uh, mm -hmm. for families and employers. It also says there's no law like this, a ballot question anywhere in the nation. Right. So what? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the Massachusetts will actually be repealed a similar law in 2011 because it was overly burdensome uh, and provided no real benefits to consumers. Not familiar with that law. Mm -mm. And that it was rejected with respect to the development of Obamacare. Well, the give and take with Obamacare is yeah. lots and lots of lobbying back and forth. And what can you keep in and what can you, you know, save? So, you know, it didn't rise to a must have priority, perhaps when that legislation was formed. Mm -hmm. But be that as it may, all of these arguments are circling around the law, the, the legislation, but not really addressing uh, the downside of it in the clearest of terms, in my view. So I'm not a big fan of insurance companies, although my father did work in insurance itself. But um, they all have great lawns, by the way. Just... <laughs> <laughs> um, we had a claim for a house uh, damage, and uh, the company just dropped us. Um, and so I'm thinking, uh, as a business, Massachusetts is a significant market, but it's not massive. And uh, if you're one of these. Um, dental executives who's going to get millions from other places, then maybe you just stop doing business in Massachusetts. So I don't know what we have seen that movie before into impact from that sense. So what, you know, unless there's a copycat movement across the country to emulate that kind of law, then I don't know. It would be interesting to see how it'll work out in a business sense. Yeah. You've got, you've got to make a rather major impact on insurance companies before they will do anything. So you're, uh, I can see where, the argument that this is there's no other similar laws is kind of a uh, a backhanded uh, threat. Right. Do this and we'll be gone. Just you know, we'll move on. We'll take our business elsewhere where we can make money, and people are not going to hinder our ability to pay our uh, money the way we want to do it. I'm not saying they're trying to gouge or cheat anyone, but those are some disturbing numbers that come up. The though, Nick, um, there is. Uh, current law, one that's closer to home, Massachusetts, um, medical 
apparently has an 88% medical loss ratio for the insurance plans. Mm. So that's a standard that healthcare has set. So there is a precedent. For self-legislation, yeah. 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 And it's looking, this one is looking for 83%. Mm -hmm. And medical Mm -hmm. is 88. So So there's hope uh, if, if, if you're in favor of this, yes. And I'll add too, Pete, that um, I also have anecdotes of dental people in the uh, dental industry, and I haven't heard a single person advocate no. Everybody that I've interacted with, maybe five folks have said yes. Everybody goes, yeah, makes sense to me. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it, I would expect it's more likely to pass. Well, this, now, is, this has been a very useful um session i've got my little post-it here with my answers now uh uh helping this has really helped clarify for me at least uh what to think about the questions uh, before us yeah well that's that's what we're here for chris to take care of your voting uh we we do like to uh help the people from across the pond who who deign to come over here and live with us because <laughs> you do bring up the tone quite a bit I wouldn't say that, but at least I got a driving license. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll give you one. <laughs> All right. Any anything else anybody would like to add? I mean, we covered them all. I think we covered the. Yeah, and if you're uh, if you're voting in person on election day, please yes. uh, look outside and give us a wave. You'll you'll see me holding signs, and it's a cold day, so I'd appreciate any smiles. Good night, uh, oh yeah, well. Voting does tend to be a cold day for no matter when it is for the people holding up the signs. I know. Yeah. Hand warmers and coffee all around. Well, another more perfect union hour has flown by and we will have to say goodbye until next week. If you would like to weigh in on our discussion today or any of our other discussions, which can be found on our podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv. If you enjoyed the discussion, let us know. Or as I always say, more importantly, if you disagree, that's all the more reason to let us know. And as I mentioned, you can also share or listen to this program or any of our past episodes at any time. Our podcasts are available online at our website, wfpr.fm. For our Radio Roundtable regulars, Rachel Plukas, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, and along with Peter Jay and my co-host Chris Wolf, I'm Nick Remesong. Thanks for listening and joining our shared journey toward a more perfect union. This is Franklin Public Radio.